Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, whatever it is that y'all are up to. Need to apologize for the first few minutes of the last episode. They were a little windy. And for those of y'all that took the time to comment and tell me that, thank you so much. For those of y'all that take the time just in general to listen, I appreciate it. Turkeys are a little noisy today. We're going to go for one of our little walks. And, uh, again, for those of y'all that continue to share the podcast with other people, thank you. Uh, it continues to do well. And I just want to make sure you all know how humbled and grateful I am by that. Try and make sure I use your time wisely. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and apologize twice today. I'm gonna read some stuff. Uh, French is not a language that I am fluent in, to say the least. That that's kind of a joke. Uh, but even some of the common words, it's gonna be a struggle for me. But I stumbled across something. I don't know, a week or two ago, and I've really been looking forward to sharing it with y'all, not because necessarily it's good news, but I think because it's so edifying, it's so illuminating, it's something that we should see, that we should have seen as a society, and, and we just don't because, because we don't do a good job of educating either ourselves or our children anymore, which... I think it's pretty apparent on this podcast. We talk about so many things that have either been forgotten uh, or ignored. So we're going to go ahead and get into it. And I'm going to read a couple things to start with that I've read before. But you'll see they're extremely pertinent to today. Ronald Reagan, cornerstone of American society. The family has always been the cornerstone of American society. Our families nurture, preserve, and pass on to each succeeding generation the values we share and cherish, values that are the foundation of our freedoms. In the family, we learn our first lessons of God and man, love and discipline, rights and responsibilities, human dignity, and human frailty. Our families give us daily examples of these lessons being put into practice in raising and instructing our children, in providing personal and compassionate care for the elderly, in maintaining the spiritual strength of religious commitment among our people. In these and other ways, America's families make immeasurable contributions to America's well-being. Today, more than ever, it is essential that these contributions not be taken for granted, and that each of us remember that the strength of our families is vital to the strength of our nation. John Quincy Adams, with regard to the history contained in the Bible, it is not so much praiseworthy to be acquainted, acquainted with it as it is shameful to be ignorant of it. My wife is leaving on some errand or another, so stopping to wave for a second and Stella has come out so we have one puppy dog 
at any rate, I apologize. <laughs> Although maybe that's part of the reason that y'all listen sometimes is just to laugh at me getting sidetracked. So, and there's a number of other, we've talked about marriage for the Utah Supreme Court case in the 1880s. There's a number of other comments by founding fathers from John Adams, Samuel Adams, Washington, just any number you could add to that, talking about the importance of family. And it, it, it really is, as Reagan said, it's the cornerstone of our nation. And we've talked about marriage as the cornerstone of the family. And, and the cornerstone of marriage, whether you believe in Jesus Christ as God's Son and accept Him as your Lord and Savior or not, the cornerstone of any marriage, in any place in the world of any good marriage, are the teachings of Christ. Just because that good marriage doesn't recognize them as the teachings of Christ doesn't mean that they're any less so. So how does this, where, where, where am I getting at? In a Churchill biography that I've been reading, I have talked to y'all briefly about it a couple times. I stumbled across this. And it has so many applications to what has been going on in America for decades and what continues to. And so I'm going to read you just a few paragraphs. And again, I apologize about the French here, folks. It's just not, it's not my forte. I'll do the best I can, and I'll just kind of stumble through where I can't. Some of y'all would do a much better job. Churchill was warning of Germany's yearning for revenge. But the casual, which is something I'll talk about on another podcast, you see a lot of similarities in 1920s and 30s Germany to some of the things that you see today, really across Western civilization, but certainly in America. Churchill was warning of Germany's yearning for revenge, but the casual visitor to Berlin that fall of 1932 would have seen few signs of it. The Zitadel, the monumental government buildings over which the Kaisers had reigned, seemed more effort than Paris and devoid of that indefinable tone which had once given the city its Lutheran ambiance, an air of hard, clean, righteous high purpose, of noble masculinity, of Spartan Persian virtues at their most demanding and most admirable. Prussian, not Persian, I apologize. Now all that was gone. Berlin was, in fact, conspicuous for its lack of any virtue, whatever. It had become the new Babylon. Before the Great War, it had been Paris which had seized with sinful romance, illicit intrigue. If you wanted to spend a weekend with your young secretary, you asked cooks to book you a suite near the Palace, palace de Atoli. In those days... Piggly, the mean streets behind La Salas, the notorious mansions de joy in the winding little rue de whatever, a block from Notre Dame, had been the most lurid attractions for those exploring what then passed for European decadence. No more. Now it was Berlin. 
Along the Kerfistan, wrote Stephen Zwieg, powdered and rogued young men sauntered, and in the dimly lit bars one might see men of the world of finance courting drunken sailors. While at transvestite balls, hundreds of men costumed as women, and hundreds of women as men danced under the benevolent eye of the police. Over two million young German women were destitute widows. They, the more desperate and attractive of them, became prostitutes, seeking prey in the alleys near Hampenhof. Among them were masculine whores with whips and mothers in their early thirties, teamed with their teenage daughters to offer mutter and torture sex. Tourists were shocked by the more infamous night spots, the Apollo, the Monocle for lesbians, and the White Mouse, whose most sensational performer and the role model for thousands of German girls in the Weimar years was Anita Berber, who danced naked, mainlined cocaine and morphine, and made love to men and women sprawled atop bars, bathed in spotlights, while voyeurs stared and fondled one another. Anita was dead at 29. So, by then, was the Weimar Republic. It was in these years that Europeans began importing not only movies, but also the most trivial and seemiest exports of American mass culture. Everyone knew about prohibition gangsters and how they led to political corruption. That made them attractive, even fascinating. Viennese, Romans, Berliners, and Parisians formed cults around the American bandits, as they were called in France, Las Bandits Americanas. And in one graffito, Al Capone, Jack Diamond, and Lucky Luciano. So seduciously had they been aped in Italy that 29-year-old Alberta Moravia devoted his first novel to a devastating parable of depravity in Rome. New Orleans Mardi Gras was the model for Germany's new, and I can't pronounce it. So here's the point, folks, because <laughs> I've gotten so far into it, I've stumbled over so many words, I need to come back to it. 1932 in Germany, you had all this immorality, all this sexual decadence and deviance particularly what we today would call the LGBTQ movement. But you know it didn't start there. It started with the breakdown of the family, regardless of the sexual tastes of these people, whether it was men with men or men with women. The point is, as you break those ties and you bring immorality into a country you also bring evil with it. That is evil. And look what happened to Germany throughout just the next 10 years, eight years, less than eight years. And there were other factors, absolutely, economic factors, for sure. The Treaty of Versailles was horrifically executed. And, and we might get in and talk about that at some point. But the point is still, to me, it's so striking, folks. When you start to pull 
sexual immorality into a society and make it acceptable. Whether you're talking about no-fault divorce, whether you're talking about adultery, whether you're talking about heterosexual relationships outside of marriage of any kind, and whether you're talking about the LGBTQ relationships, it's devastating to the family. And the family is the cornerstone here in America of our republic. And so does it seem strange that there's such a push from the left, from people who openly hate our republic, regardless of what they say, folks, their actions for decades, going all the way back to World War II, which is what we were just talking about. Is it strange at all that today in America, and really, again, for, for decades now, feminism and LGBTQ relationships have been pushed. No-fault divorce has been pushed. Adultery has been ignored practically, swept under the rug. Heterosexual sex outside of marriage is just absolutely fair game. There's not even any pushback, relatively little, to speak of in culture. And so, so what's, what's the next step, folks? The next step is, the, is either the tyranny that you saw in Nazi Germany or self-destruction. And we, we look up and we're surprised. We're surprised at the state of our communities and our schools and our children. You cannot, we cannot reject God and embrace these immoral values, particularly here again. You, you, you heard that from the, and that, I meant to tell you this, that again is an excerpt from Manchester's trilogy biography on Winston Churchill. What became popular in Berlin in the early 1930s? Transvestites, homosexuality, basically any, any kind of decadence that you wanted sexually. Well, what do we see today in America? Just saw an article just this morning about Netflix releasing a show called He's Expecting. Completely ignoring the fact that it goes against science because no man can carry a child. It's impossible. The implications, the support for the LGBTQ lifestyles are astounding. And, and really, who do we have to blame, folks? We have ourselves to blame because when culture started promoting sex outside of marriage as a good thing, we just kind of turned a blind eye. We recently started to watch the old Little House on the Prairie series, and it's quaint, and I don't know how much attraction it would pull today, how much money it would make, how many people would watch it, but it is, 
it's so wholesome relative to what you see today it's it's shocking a person one of the main characters openly reading the bible as a good thing not a bad thing repeatedly referring to different bible verses throughout the show showing a that was another line here right how important they're talking about in the Churchill biography referring to the virtues in Berlin in the past and one of them being noble masculinity what we've destroyed masculinity in America today we've we've told men that they need to be more like women and told women that they need to be more independent more powerful more strong they don't need a man they need to go out and get their own job their own career chase their own dreams they don't need to be a mother they don't need to stay at home with their children and raise and teach and nurture them no they need to they need to go off and chase their own dreams and and then they need to care for their children when they can when they have time and their husband's just going to have to make do until maybe sometime in the far distant future when they have achieved all of their professional aspirations and the children are gone, then maybe they'll have time to think about their husband again. They certainly don't need to submit to him as they're taught in the Bible. And, and certainly, I mean, you, you can, can you even imagine culture, any show out of Hollywood portraying the biblical traditional role models for men and women of the man being the head of the house and the woman submissive to the man as the man was to Christ. It had never make it out of the drawing room. And that's what we've done, folks. And so that's where we're at. And I just, I, I find it shocking to tie this all in how apparent it is that families have been so pivotal in our history to our stability and security and our strength and therefore marriage and therefore God. And then looking at the social, the cultural, sexually, the cultural standards in Berlin and Germany in the early 1930s leading up to the rise of the Nazis and World War II. And if that doesn't make you scared about where we're headed right now, it should. And I think on that note, I'll quit rambling and I'll leave y'all alone. Tell you thank you again for giving me a few minutes of your day. And look forward to talking to y'all again as I always do. God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless America. Remember that y'all have a huge sphere of influence wherever it is. And when I say huge, I just mean you have so much influence over the people that you associate with. Whatever it is, if it's a CEO or a baker or a candlestick maker or a cashier or a janitor or a lawyer or a doctor or a nurse or a teacher, whatever it is, folks, especially as parents. We have the ability to influence the direction our country's going. As Patrick Henry talked about. We'll talk to y'all again real soon, folks. Looking forward to it.